Although our Christmas offering is a week away, your response last week was incredible. We put cards in your bulletin and ask you to commit, not to a dollar amount, but just to express your commitment to the Christmas offering. And the response was overwhelming. And I just want to say thank you, thank you. I'm so excited about next week. I just think it's going to be a wonderful day in the life of our church. So thank you for that. But we also took those cards this week and we prayed for you and our staff prayer time, just praying that we've asked you to pray how God would use you, so we wanted to make sure that we prayed for you today that God would guide you in that. So next week's the big day, and again, uh, our Christmas offering is your regular gift plus a gift that is above and beyond that. So we're going to continue to pray. Uh, whether you can give a dollar or whether you can give $10,000, uh, that's not the issue. The issue is not equal giving. The issue is equal sacrifice. And so as I said last week, and I just want to remind you, or if you weren't here, I just want to tell you again, if you're looking for a, just a base, a place to start, it's, it's real simple. And that is that God gave his greatest gift to us at Christmas time. And we believe that our greatest gift at Christmas time should be to God. And so just as a gauge, just as an idea to kind of get you thinking along that line, if you would consider whatever the largest gift you would give to an individual at Christmas time, and just make that your starting point for what you would give as your base offering to the Christmas offering. I used the example, and I spoiled Joni's Christmas. Last week, I said if I buy her that $500 vacuum cleaner that she's just been dying to have at Christmas time, and I spoiled the surprise. I apologize again publicly. Uh, just kidding. I'm not buying my wife a vacuum cleaner in case somebody's going to go home and go, is he really going to do that? But let's say that I did. Uh, before I called your house to ask you if I could come spend the night with you on Christmas Day, what I would do is I would make that as my base uh, for my gift to the Christmas offering. So I just hope that as you pray about that, that you'll be open to what God would have you to do. Again, we sent you uh, giving envelopes. We'll have some more available next week. You can bring those envelopes back with you and put them in the offering on Sunday. There's an address on there. You can put a stamp and you can mail it in or you can give your card information. Or again, you can give online at www.clarksburgbaptistchurch.com backslash Christmas. And we are just excited about what God's going to do, not just next week, but what God's going to do through your generosity. This is the third week in the series that we've entitled, He Shall Be Called. And we've been looking at the names of Jesus that Isaiah gives to the Messiah in Isaiah 9, 6. And we've been looking at those not just of what's in the name, but rather the richness that's there and how that particular name didn't just apply to ancient Israel, but applies to us today. Let's hear what Isaiah has, 9, 6. Again, it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first week we looked at Wonderful Counselor, the idea that the Messiah kingdom is the answer to all the world's confusion. Last week, we looked at mighty God, the fact that Jesus as the mighty God means not only is he willing to help us, but he is able to help us. He is able to do what he promised in our lives. And today we look at everlasting father. Again, in a nutshell, a couple of quotes that, that I read that I really like about what everlasting father means. The first one is Messiah's government is simple 
and uncomplicated. That's from John MacArthur. And then John Martin writes, In his government, Messiah will be a fatherly ruler. Regardless of what you think about government, there is one undeniable truth, and that's government at any level is full of bureaucracy and red tape. It's just a fact. You know, life gets more and more complex, and the more complex our lives get, a lot of times the more we look to government to help us with our solutions, or sometimes the more complex our lives get, the more government kind of takes it upon themselves to kind of step into our lives and and hopefully provide us some kind of relief for our complexity. But what happens is, a lot of times, just another level of bureaucracy gets added to our lives. So instead of making our complex lives simple, then what it does is just add adds another level of complexity to what is already complex in our lives. But unlike human government, Messiah's government is simple and uncomplicated. He needs no bureaucracy, and he is free from red tape. And because he is the everlasting father, because Scripture says, and Isaiah says it here, that he puts the government on his shoulders... He really has no need for a cabinet, and he has no need for a support staff. He is a ruler, not a bureaucrat, and he comes to us to take the government on his shoulders, and in his kingdom, his government is simple and uncomplicated. But rather than govern like we understand a governor, Isaiah says that he governs like a father. He governs like a father. And the other thing is that even though human government, even at its best, is temporary, Isaiah says that Messiah's government is everlasting. It is eternal. He was the everlasting father before creation. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 10 says, He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. It's interesting here. If these things that God created with his own hands are temporary, then the question is how much more so are the things that we have created with our own hands temporary? And then verse 12, he says, You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment, They will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. Things are temporary. Everything is temporary except God. God is the everlasting Father. Isaiah calls Messiah, Jesus, the everlasting Father. Everlasting Father, the literal meaning is the Father of eternity. The Father of eternity. And two things we need to be careful about when we talk about Father. Because the one thing is different people have different views or different things come to mind when they hear the word father. For a lot of people, uh, their fathers were anything but model fathers. Their fathers were, were not loving. They were vile. They were unfaithful to their spouses. They were uncaring. They were absent from everything. Uh, they suffered from one form of addiction or, or another and, and just were terrible in the, in the earthly sense fathers. And then for some of us, we had wonderful fathers who were great role models for us, who were great teachers, uh, who were wonderful 
Christian people who just helped others, who were hardworking, who were wonderful providers of our family. Uh, and actually today, uh, when we talk about Everlasting Father, we're not talking about either one of them. And, and that's the mistake I think we make sometimes, is when we talk about God as our Father, we feel this need to either compare Him to our fathers who were worthless or our fathers who were great. And here's the thing, both of those pale by comparison to God the Father. So it's kind of useless for us to kind of say, well, now, you remember your father is like, even though we're going to use some of those analogies today, that's really not what we're doing. We're not trying to compare the everlasting father to your father, regardless of how good or how bad that relationship was. It's very different. And the second thing is, a lot of times people get confused when we talk about Jesus as the everlasting father. Because they say, well, wait a minute, when you talk about the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So how in the world can the Son be the everlasting Father? Well, well, first of all, Jesus the Messiah is the second person of the Trinity. And in his essence, he is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So even though in the Trinity, each part of the Trinity, there are three persons and each one of them is distinctive, each one of them is God. So there's no problem referring to God the Son or God the Holy Spirit, for that matter, uh, referring to them as God. There's no problem with that. But the, but the second part of that is that the everlasting Father uh, describes Jesus' relationship to time. Jesus' relationship to time, not necessarily his relationship to other members of the Trinity. He is everlasting. He is without beginning. He is without end. So when you call Jesus the everlasting Father, he is everlasting in the sense that he has no beginning and no end, and he has all the attributes of the Godhead in him. Charles Spurgeon, I, I like this, what he said, great English preacher, said how complex is the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Almost in the same breath, the prophet calls him a child and a counselor, a son and the everlasting father. We must not suppose that we shall understand him at a glance. Glorious mysteries are hidden in his person. He speaks to us in plainest language, and he manifests himself openly in our midst. But yet in his person itself, there is a height and depth which human intellect fails to measure. So, as it's been the last two Sundays, it is today. The question for us then is, in December of 2014, what does this fatherly rule of Messiah, what does this everlasting father, what does this ever, uh, father of eternity reference from Isaiah say to us today? It says several things. One is that, that he gives us life. When we think about our earthly fathers, regardless of good, bad, and different, uh, they, in union with our mothers, gave us life. Our biological fathers gave us life. Jesus, though, on the other hand, is the everlasting Father, gives us spiritual life. He is the one who brings to us spiritual life. We are born again through Christ alone. We, come into a, we become a brand new creation through Christ alone. We have a family life as a child of God through Christ alone. We have a victorious and a full life through Christ alone, and we have an eternal life 
through Christ alone. So whereas our natural fathers brought us natural life, Jesus, the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, brings to us spiritual life. And he does this not because of the good things that we have done, not because of anything that we can do to earn it. He does, this, does it because of his love and his mercy for us. He makes our spiritual life possible. Uh, he's a provider. Uh, again, one of the roles of a, of a father is to provide. Some fathers provide well. Some fathers don't provide very well. But then again, uh, you know, regardless of how intentional you are as a father about having a good home and a, bringing home uh, a paycheck and about how, you are and, uh, how well you do about putting food on the table uh, or how bad you are, it, it's all kind of irrelevant in the sense that you can't compare it to God and you can't compare it to goodness. Jesus, the everlasting Father, is the ultimate provider for us. Jesus the Messiah provides what we ultimately need. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He provides what we need for salvation. He provides what we need for eternal life. But he also provides for us in many other ways. In awkward situations, he provides the words for us to say, Look at Christian history. People who had no clue what to say. God provided them the words. He'll do the same for us. He provides guidance for those tough decisions that we need to make in our life. He provides comfort for us in time of heartbreak. He provides clothing and food and support for us, our basic needs. He provides opportunities for us to make a real difference in our lives and the lives of someone else. He provides people in our lives who will stand alongside of us. He provides healing for our hurts. He provides insight for spiritual truth in our lives. And the everlasting Father who has eternal resources, who has resources beyond our imagination, who has resources beyond anything on earth, nothing compares to it. He gives us out of his eternal resources to meet our every need. But he also cares about us. Again, some of your fathers cared for you very deeply. Some didn't. But again, it doesn't matter here. Because we're talking about the father of eternity. And he cares about us in two specific ways. One is discipline. He disciplines us. Now, we're like natural children. We don't always see that as a good thing. But it is a good thing. Think about it. An uncaring parent, an uncaring parent provides no boundaries for their children. An uncaring parent doesn't teach their children the difference between right and wrong and all sorts of other things. But loving parents practice discipline. Loving parents set limits and boundaries. Loving parents teach their children that there are consequences as a result of their actions. Loving parents teach their children that there are appropriate and inappropriate behaviors. It's the same with the everlasting father. It's the same with the father of eternity. God is a God of mercy, and God is certainly a God of grace. But God, in his love for us, sets boundaries. If you read the dietary laws in the Old Testament, you would think that God is, what in the world is he thinking? He's just trying to make life hard for people. 
He tells them they shouldn't eat owls. Of course, question one is who would want to eat an owl anyway? But what's, what's wrong? Why would, why would God say, look, you folks don't eat owls. And don't eat that shellfish either. <laughs> I love shellfish. What, what's God doing? He didn't tell them that just because he was randomly picking things he wanted to be mean about. And God was setting boundaries because he loved them. Because had they eaten those things, they would have gotten sick and probably died because they were not able to prepare them properly. So no, God wasn't setting these boundaries arbitrarily. He was doing it out of love for them. Uh, God is, is clear. The everlasting Father is very clear to us about right and wrong behavior. What is appropriate and what is inappropriate. The Bible tells us those things, not because God just sat down one day and said, okay, I'm going to make life as hard and as difficult for these people as I can, so I'm going to come up with all these rules that I want them to follow. It's not that way at all. Actions have consequences. Things that we do to our bodies have consequences. It's not because if we do this or that or the other that God sits up there and he says, okay, all right, so you eat 12 hamburgers a day. All right, well... You know, I'm not going to send harm your way, but I guarantee you, you want to go ahead and find you a good cardiologist ahead of time. It's a natural consequence of what's going to happen. The same thing with all sorts of other habits that we have in our lives and all sorts of other things that the Bible warns against. God doesn't warn us against gluttony in Scripture because he doesn't want a bunch of overweight people walking around. God speaks to that because he knows it's unhealthy for us. And he's looking after us. It's something about love. Same thing with all sorts of other behaviors in our lives. He's concerned with right and wrong. Why is he concerned with right and wrong? Because it affects our relationship with him. Uh, God has defined sin as anything that's outside of his will for us, of our missing the mark of becoming like him. And there's right and wrong for a reason, because he wants us to become in our daily lives more and more like him every day. He does it because he wants a relationship with us. He's not just trying to be strict. All of it's based on love. Every part of it is based on love. There are natural consequences, but God disciplines us, as Scripture reminds us, because the Lord disciplines those who he loves. And God cares enough about us to give direction to our lives. But he also cares about us in the sense that we are always in his thoughts. Uh, Jesus, when he was on earth, prayed for his disciples. But if you read the, the passage in John, not only did he pray for his disciples, he prayed for us, all those who would, would follow after him. And the Bible tells us that he is in heaven interceding for us. You'll find that in Hebrews chapter 7. So the question is, Jesus is God, and he is in heaven with God. Why in the world would Jesus want to take time to intercede for us? Well, it's very simple. Even though he is in heaven, he's not forgotten us. And even though he's in heaven, he is deeply invested in every part of our lives. He cares about us enough to discipline us, but he also cares about us enough that he's deeply invested in our lives, even if he is not physically present with us today. But maybe here's the one thing that sets all of this apart, the everlasting father, what sets it all apart from anything we could compare to our earthly fathers. And that's that everything about this eternal 
Father. Everything about this Father of eternity, everything about this everlasting Father, Jesus, the Messiah that we've talked about, is eternal. It's forever. It's not temporary. No matter how wonderful your Father is, it's temporary. And it's also true that we're humans and we make mistakes. But everything that is promised to us by the Father of eternity is sure. But not only is it sure and consistent, but it's also going to last forever. Jesus, the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, will always provide for his children. It's eternal. And because he is the everlasting Father... His love for us has no end. His love for us has no end. It says in Romans 8, beginning in verse 38, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loved us before the creation of the world and nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. This Christmas season, here's a challenge for you. We need to stop thinking about Jesus, the Messiah, the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity. We we need to stop thinking about him in the past tense. And we do that a lot. We, we, We think about him in the past tense. You see, he is not just someone who once lived. He still lives. He still lives. And our faith is not based on just something that happened in the past. Our faith is based on a present relationship with him, an ongoing relationship with him. Sure, you can point maybe to the day that you accepted his salvation, and that might be an event that happened in the past, but our relationship is today. He not only saved us in a past day and an event, but also he gives us guidance today for our lives. But not only is it a present relationship, but it's also an eternal relationship relationship. I love this quote. It says, he will never abandon us. He will never allow us to be destroyed. He is our shield. He is our rock. And he loves us like only an everlasting father can. That was true yesterday. That is true today. That will be true tomorrow. And it'll be true in eternity because he is the father of eternity. Let's pray.